Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Excited to be uh, with my co-host, Laura Waters-Brown, for another episode on the Ohio University Sports Administration series, Life After Court Street, with our guests in Preston Scheidel from the LPGA Foundation and Kevin Collins from the University of Texas uh, in athletics there. Uh, Excited to talk about fundraising, development, uh, their journeys into the industry, and some of the nuances within that sector. Uh, Kevin, Preston, welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So let's, let, let's dig into uh, your journeys after Court Street, after Ohio, um, and, and kind of where you got started in the fundraising world. And uh, Preston, let's, let's kick it off with you. Yeah. Um, well, trying to think, I had a... Uh, a non-traditional background in fundraising. So I started in my, my sports career at the Charlotte Bobcats as an intern and uh, jumped on board to the Aspire Group as a sales consultant down at Georgia Tech. Um, had a, a great experience there, you know, moving through some of the, um, the ranks and moved up to team leader, took on University of Maryland and helped build out their revenue platform from a sales uh, perspective. And then, you know, I was, uh, you know, plucked away from the Aspire Group to uh, be a director of uh, development with University of Maryland Athletics and the Terrapin Club. And so that's kind of how I, uh, you know, jumped into development. I didn't know much about it, but, you know, under the tutelage and mentorship of, you know, Jay Batt, Nate Pine, uh, Troy Rainwright, Ryan Jones, Aaron, some of those individuals, um, you know, it was just such a great experience and something that I loved. And I, I really appreciated the uh, relationship management, building, um, you know, starting to look at fundraising and how that uh, philanthropy really makes an impact through student athletes. And so, and, and that was just something that really, you know, touched base with what I was wanting to do as a career. And so, uh, so forth and so on, uh, carried that journey throughout to, to starting up the philanthropy at the Washington Nationals, um, which was a great experience as well. And then as started to grow the family, wanted to get closer to home and moved here to Raleigh and worked in higher education for uh, Duke University. And um, a a couple years in, I uh, got the call and said, hey, we want you back in the sports industry and was lucky enough to be chosen to, um, you know, start up the philanthropy at the LPGA Foundation, which I'm, uh, you know, facilitating right now, uh, just about four months in. So it's, uh, it's been a great experience thus far and such a great organization to be a part of, but that's kind of my journey. So Bobcats to Bobcats, that was the first? It was, yeah, everybody likes to know, you know, the Charlotte Hornets, but there was that little window of the Charlotte Bobcats. Yep, yep, that was it. <laughs> you're, you're a double Bobcat. That was a good Bobcat one, Jake. Then. Yep. Good one, Jake. Good one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, still, <laughs> Jake, I'm still holding on to all like those, those throwback G-Force, G-Wallace uh, jerseys, because at some point, you know, it's like the starter jackets in 10 years, 15, 20 years. It'll be worth some money. Raymond, Raymond Felton, Sean May, all those guys. <laughs> Love it. Kevin, what about your journey? 
Yeah, my, my journey has been a, a little bit of shorter stops or not shorter stops, but uh, only uh, two stops, really. Uh, went to school, University of Delaware, um, studied sport management there, kind of did the whole internships, as, as most people you probably interview did. But uh, there was a fellow Bobcat who just became athletic director at the time, Bernard Muir. And Bernard was a wonderful mentor, along with uh, another uh, individual, Scarlett Schmidt, Dr. Schmidt, and really kind of was, you know, as it I always think about the sport industry is people pay it forward, right? So had really good mentors early on. Uh, was afforded the opportunity to be really involved as a student in athletics development as they were rebranding the athletic department under uh, Bernard's leadership. Um, when I graduated, took an internship uh, with uh, NACTA, NACDA, National Association of Collegiate Directors Athletics, uh, at the time uh, led by Bob Becchione and former Bobcats with um, uh, Pat Manick and Chris Green. Uh, so really had a wonderful, it's a year-long experience, probably one of the best internships, in my opinion, you could get in college athletics with the network you're able to build as we support educational opportunities throughout the year for educational, excuse me, for uh, professional administrators, uh, worked uh, exclusively with the uh, fundraising area, uh, uh, NAD, National Association, sorry, it's acronym soup, so I just, it's kind of always one of my pictures, National Association of Athletic Development Directors, um, worked with a some great people at the NACT office, Jason Glasgow, Julie Work, um, and really was able to really dive in. It's a small office and a small community. So while it was only a one-year internship, I think it had a lifelong uh, impact on me. Um, yeah, I worked for Mike Leary, who was a, a long-term uh, um, legend in athletics administration, but uh, working with the athletic department, um, excuse me, the Athletic Development Association, worked with um, deputy ADs at Old Miss, Stephen Ponder, um, UCLA, um, all those areas. and was uh, fortunate enough at the end of my internship to take a, a job here at the University of Texas. So started as an assistant director and I've uh, been here now. This is my 10th football season. So now I'm an assistant athletic director of annual giving. I've um, uh, been seeing a, a few different um, leadership changes, but we have a wonderful athletic director now with Crystal Conte and I'm very excited for the future uh, as we move into the SEC here in the near future. So many nuggets in there, Kevin. Look, Bernard Muir doesn't know this. I've met him one time in my life, but like he's actually one of the reasons I graduated and passed one of my classes and has no clue. All because he's a bobcat and he answered an email and I was <laughs> able to pass my class. So I, I feel you on the props there. Um, but curious, both of you are in in philanthropy and fundraising and we're... we're um, at the time of this recording, we're going into kind of the holiday and fall seasons. Do you have plans to kind of tap into the giving spirit? And then if so, how do you do that without being being cheesy or inauthentic or unauthentic? Uh, I would say this person, because we're working on an interview you're giving piece right now. We launched a very... Uh, uh, extensive email series. Um, uh, folks on my team really have done a tremendous job on preparing us for the end of the year giving appeal. Um, we talk about Longhorn Excellence here at Texas, whether those are above and beyond seat-related giving, which is super important. And I think that's our job. We're fundraisers. So, you know, people know what we're, we're there for, right? They know that we're, we're going to ask them to support and give at a higher level. Um, so I don't, you know, the giving spear, right? There's, you know, we, we thank them a lot around this time of the year because 
it is a spirit of Thanksgiving up, up, upcoming here and then the holiday season. Uh, one thing we've done a, a little bit better than we did last year is we've really made sure our appeal, our hard copy appeal, our postcard appeal, and our um, solicitations are coming before Christmas time uh, or like several weeks before Christmas time, end of November, uh, right after Thanksgiving, because I really think there's a sweet spot there. I think if you get it out too late, I think you lose a little bit of um, opportunity. Um, um, and especially with the tax deduction, obviously at the end of the year. So we try to be a little bit creative, not creative, but a little bit more um, driven to hit our deadlines to get the mailers out um, that last week, first last week of November, first week of December. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll add on to and speak to a couple different points, uh, Laura, that you made. So I think I'm in the thick of it right now with the LPGA Foundation and, and creating kind of the end of year campaign. Um, absolutely. Uh, you do want to tie into the giving season. I, I think that if you don't capture some of the space, uh, like a Giving Tuesday or just soft appeals and a harder appeal at the end of the year, then you're automatically losing some of the opportunities to generate revenue. Um, to create it to where, you know, you're saying like the non-cheesy or being authentic, I think it is, we all know the power of sport. You know, we, we went to, you know, OU and we've uh, progressed in the, uh, the sports industry and the audience that, you know, we're, we're sharing this message to uh, do, do, does as well. Um, you know, from what I from what I do and the work that, um, you know, I'm in right now from the end of the year campaign is we give golf. Right. And um, we our model and our program, we provide opportunities and accessible golf to girls age, starting at age six to age 17. Um, you know, also focusing on bringing in minorities, um, you know, who haven't had as much access or availability um, in the community, in the golf community as in years past. So um, that to me, you know, knowing the power of sport as a, as a former student athlete, knowing the um, challenges and the hurdles that I went through, um, you know, in different communities, uh, that's something just telling the story. It's, it's pretty authentic in, in just a genuine manner. Um, and so that's, that's the way that we lead. Um, and that's the way that we kind of build the story and the model around is, is grabbing the stories from the foundation, not from the foundation, but from the base level, the ground floor of our participants, our site directors, uh, their parents and what the impact actually is from a philanthropy standpoint. So what does that dollar actually do? And when you pull stories from the voice of a child who went through a program or a parent who saw a difference in the child or a site director who built a strong positive coaching and mentorship, that's where you get into that authentic and non-cheesy, as you would say, Laura, um, type of appeal. That's awesome. And, you know, both of you are working um, or work with women's sports. Kevin, Texas has an amazing uh, women's athletic program. Um, and then Preston, you know, with the LPGA, women's sports is on an upward trajectory, right? And are you seeing that and seeing more interest in investing and in supporting the organizations and kind of women's sports um, in, in your campaigns? Or are you leveraging that? 
I'll jump in first, Kevin. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, the LPGA from uh, from all standpoint, I think it um, as as one of the fa- golf is one of the fastest growing sports right now. Um, a lot of attention and a lot of marketing, a lot of things going on just within the golf industry as a whole. Um, but the LPGA has been, um, you know, exceeding some of the goals and both in revenue, both in viewership and awareness as well. Um, you know, not only from the LPGA tours perspective, but other Epson tour, uh, the ladies European tour, and then also within the other frameworks of girls golf program. So absolutely, um, you know, from the, the different DEI components, women empowerment, uh, youth development, uh, where I'm starting to see a lot of corporate philanthropy, uh, you know, turn to and focus on those types of um, initiatives and or funding models. And so we are, you know, always uh, looking at how the, the, you know, foundations and, and, you know, like I said, corporate philanthropy is looking at uh, ways to impact that, that, you know, women, girls, and, and so forth and so on. So, um, yeah, we are, we are seeing a lot of, you know, a, a opportunity um, in those areas. Yeah, and I'll echo our, our female student-athletes are phenomenal. We won two national championships this past year. You know, um, back to back for or women's tennis and then back to back for for rowing uh, had a very, really exciting run to the softball championship game um, for women, for a softball program, swimming and diving had a um, tremendous year all, all, all across the board for our female student athletes. And they they always set the bar, bar at such a high standard. Uh, we did this past year um, uh, led by um, uh, former student athlete who played UW, Brittany Wary was on uh, works on my team on the annual fund but she helped us launch a title IX 50th anniversary celebration uh did a tremendous job and we have really some really strong pioneers in um uh, title IX with uh, chris blonsky and jody conrad uh kathy harston so we wanted to recognize where texas stands uh, and had a tremendous outpouring of support uh, with our, one of our fundraising campaigns last year it's a kind of 40 40 hours on the 40 acres and our initiative was Title IX. So we saw um, some donors that kind of really just we weren't on our radar that identified wanting to support, uh, made some nice cash gifts. Um, and it was a kind of a fun experience because it, it showed a little bit of, a, uh, I would say, new growth and then opportunities for us to kind of understand, hey, you know what, there's a little bit more there uh, for us to to look at. So um, I definitely think it, uh, it's been an exciting time here in Texas for our, our women student athletes, especially with Title IX and uh, 50th anniversary. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm not saying the economic power is shifting to women, but I'm just saying. <laughs> for, for, for both of you, you know, I feel like it's, it's harder than ever to get in touch with somebody to reach, reach them on the, the, the various platforms that everybody's, whether it's email, social media, text, phone call, whatever, whatever it might be. Uh, and I'm probably missing a few. Um, you know, Kevin, you mentioned the mailers, right? And, and, and things like that. When you think about getting to donors, uh, getting in front of people, um, we've had many, many people on the podcast have, you know, hit on relationships, right? And there's relationship building aspect, uh, especially in fundraising and development. But what are a couple of the nuances that and or trends that you're seeing from a just keeping in touch with people, but making sure that it's not two in your face and you're getting an email every day or you're getting a phone call. I mean, how do you keep that uh, at a level where it's effective, but also making sure that you're not forgetting about people too? 
Yeah, yeah, Jake, I, I could kind of touch on kind of two points that I think we're we're working on. One and um, or one one thing, you know, you talk about emails, right? Where we've been working on better, doing a better job of workflows, where we understand who's clicking on an email, what we're sending them as follow up, and having more organic campaigns rather than just rushing. Oh, we need to get an email out, and we send it out to you know fifty thousand people to solicit them for a gift. We're trying to work a little bit smarter, uh, not harder. I mean, you, it was a old saying my dad always had uh, when we played soccer. But um, I think it's true. I think there's ways to be a little bit more intentional and spread out some email flows as well. And then if people kind of click through, you can look at that data and send them uh, certain follow-ups. So that's something we're trying to get better uh, from a holistic to reach out to the masses. Because I do think it is very difficult to reach out to the masses this time and age through email or hard copy. I mean, we all get email. We all get like it's it's a quick delete, right? Um, as far as personally, when I when I work with prospects or, or major gift owners, we have this year we had seven uh, home games, right? That's the biggest opportunity for me to visit with people. If it's a quick hello and pop in in a suite, uh, taking them down on the field to go get a picture with uh, with Bevo over here, um, really is um, um, that's those kind of short little moments, and then maybe a text to follow up during the week. I think they always appreciate it. I always feel like donors, when you, when you develop a strong relationship in your portfolio with people, um, you, you're able to go back to them for a second gift, for a third gift, even um, at, a, at a more sizable amount because they trust you. You're their vehicle to give. Um, so texting really is the, the 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 communication I use most with with uh, folks that I'm working with that support here. Yep. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add in as well. Um, Workflow automation, as Kevin kind of mentioned and alluded to, is is key. Also, CRM is your best um, is your best friend. So you know, keeping notes and making sure to um, adjust and customize certain templates, um, you know, for certain donors that you have relationships with are key. So you're not uh, you know pestering them with information that necessarily is not important to them. Um, one thing that I did find is that the phone call is slowly starting to die out. Um, I've, I've found myself and I've, I've found myself working more through email and text uh, or, you know, just setting up a quick Zoom call than a phone call. Um, and that was something that was really interesting to me because earlier in my career, it was all phone call, right? We didn't have the Zoom and the virtual piece. Um, and now it's kind of moved away from phone call and I'll get more individuals to say, okay, just text me you know, this or, you know, hey, send me an email, we'll catch up via email. So it's mo mostly more or less just the timing of it and, um, you know, so forth and so on. And then the last piece that I would say uh, is to set aside days, uh, you know, just uh, set aside days in your calendar. Um, I, I'm usually on a Tuesday or Thursday, where I'll block out 10 to 2, 10 to 3 um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, just to set kind of those email schedules, um, or set, you know, send out emails to certain blocks of individuals. Um, I'll template it to a certain, you know, group to where if it is kind of the entry level, hello, this is who I am. Uh, to the next side, I'll, I'll do more of a customized, like I said, the entry, you know, great win, great blah, 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 and then say like, hey, hope all is going well and more of a customized message. But um, I try to do that at least, um, you know, once a week where I, I send out, you know, 20 to 30 emails and no, and that starts to build up on timing. And then once again, if you're, if you're logging that in a CRM and activity, then you know when to go back and how to go back and what the frequency looks like from that standpoint. 
So safe to say it's not dialing for dollars anymore. It's typing for dollars. Is that? Yeah, pretty much. Not dialing for dollars as much. Not, you know, in the, in the philanthropy world. Not, that's what I'm hearing. So. Sure. <laughs> what's, what's the hardest part about fundraising? And for someone who's listening to this, who isn't in development, who isn't in philanthropy, maybe they're in marketing or sponsorships or ticket sales or the, even the player side, like, what is the hardest part about being in development, but maybe the piece of advice you'd have for others that if they wanted to get into it, uh, where, you know, where are some of those transferable skills? Yeah. I'd say the, the hardest part is everything. There, there's always constant change, right? We went through COVID. We are going through, you know, a downturn in the economy right now. Um, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, there's political unrest. You know, people want to put their dollars in, in different areas. Um, so I think it's just um, always being learn, always being able to adjust um, towards where the donor has a specific interest to. Um, you know, we might I might be trying to raise uh, money for a capital project, but I'm and I keep pinning up the one person for a capital project, or but then realize, hey, their actual passion is they're uh, is in academics and they want to do a you know scholarship. Um, so I think it's always adjusting um, and. and and being able to recognize the change, recognizing what is actually occurring in that person's life. Um, and that's not easy, obviously, right? But um, I think it's kind of just being being consistent and being a good listener. Sorry, those don't sound like challenges, but there's more skill sets. But uh, uh, I think person understands kind of what I'm getting at. I might not yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and, and the, um, the thing that I'm thinking of when you, when you mentioned that, Kev, is... Uh, strategic approach, right? I mean, as you're talking about the ad adaptation for what's happening externally in society or whatever, uh, you know, foundations and funding and philanthropists, they evolve as well, right? And in regards to giving to Texas, there may be something more regionally or locally that they, they have, they want to give to. Um, and so that strategic approach, I would say, is one of the most challenging is, is having to adapt your conversations, having to adapt your relationships, um, the points of where, you know, the fundraising, uh, or I guess the relationship management is on a scale of cultivation, solicitation, or, you know, even going back to qualification, um, you know, based on what you're hearing. So those active listening skills that Kevin's kind of alluding to is so important because a donor may say something but you also have to, you know, take everything that you know about where the, the best interests are for the, the, you know, Texas or LPGA Foundation or whatever institution and make sure that it aligns with the timing. And uh, the second piece to that, I would say, is the most challenging is patience. Um, when, you know, you are, I mean, depending on the, the, the level of the gift, I think everyone uh, gets to the point where they make the ask or they want to make the ask. Um, and you just need to make sure that you're not jumping ahead. Um, I know that was one thing that I learned from, from Duke and, and my mentors there is, you know, I was on the major gift side asking for six and seven figures, and uh, I wanted to get things accomplished in six months. And that was just not, you know, that just wasn't something that was going to happen from these larger gifts um, and, you know, embedding in the relationship. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that I've learned is uh, be patient you know, get to know the individual, uh, be donor centric as well. So make sure that you're hearing, you're understanding, ask more questions, um, and then just continue to make sure that you are providing the best answers or the best lending spot for that gift 
because some the the hardest gift is sometimes the most beneficial for you know both parties. Laura, what you got? That's awesome. It's time for rapid fire. These are the quick questions. Quick questions with quick answers. Either or. Jake, got that? Got it. Okay. So fundraising edition, philanthropy edition. Uh, do you prefer the theory of a lot of little donations or a few large gifts? Uh. Uh, all, all of the above. <laughs> probably say all of the other? above. Yeah. Um, I mean, I work, you know, I work in annual giving, so um, I think I, I would um, a lot of large gift. I mean, <laughs> a lot of medium sized gifts. A lot of all, all above. I think there's not, as Preston said, it donor centric, right? Like what, whatever they feel comfortable using their discretional income is, is a gift. Uh, I want them. I want them to feel comfortable with what they're giving. Yeah, so, the, the correct answer is both. Um, you know, yeah. the correct answer is both because the small, the, the annual fund gifts build the pipeline for the larger gifts. And so those relationships cultivate over time. Um, working within, you know, the major gift side, uh, you know, I will lean towards the larger gifts um, because those are transformational um, and they help build the platform for programs to be innovative and, and expand and meet the needs of the community. So. If you if you make me pick, I have to go fifty one percent, forty nine percent. So so one size one size fits all. That's, that's what we're yeah, going. No, yeah. I love uh, it. Question: we'll, Kevin, we'll start with you. Um, favorite place you've gone with a donor? Like favorite trip? Oh, uh, not rapid fire. Probably we did rapid fire. Some really fun stuff and, and really cool donor events at the. And uh, when we played USC back 2017 away in, in uh, we did an uh, event at the Beverly Hills Hilton. Um, that was, that was pretty awesome. It was pretty special. There, there was a, um, that was kind of a once in a lifetime deal and playing in the Coliseum. We came up short in the game, but that was a, that was a fun trip. Oof. Um, well, so with the, the nationals, when we won the world series, we were able to bring a couple board members and donors through the parade uh, with us. And I will say that that was a pretty cool experience to be side by side with some of our donors um, alongside of our um, you know, scholar athletes, um, all within the parade going down DC leading to the, the Washington Monument. So, and that was you know, in front of the players as well. So there was a lot of hype. Of, um, so that was pretty cool to, to have that experience. I didn't know that person, that's really cool. Laura? A true rapid fire question. Chocolate ice cream or Neapolitan? Neither. Neither. <laughs> Guy! Wow. You, you, got, you got a both you answer and a neither? Ne Neapolitan? No. Okay, Neapolitan. I'm not a huge like ice cream guy. Yeah, I don't really that like makes, chocolate, but I, if you said vanilla or chocolate, I would say vanilla. No. But. You got to pick one. That, this is, that, is the, that is the power of the rapid fire. <laughs> Neapolitan. Neapolitan. <laughs> favorite favorite sport? Baseball. Golf. <laughs> good answer, Preston. Good job. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm good at it, but golf, yeah. <laughs> good question. Good answer. Good answer. Uh, okay, last one for rapid fire. Are we ready? 
Let's do it. All right. Are we going, if you could go to a championship anywhere in the world, where would it be? Hmm. Mm-hmm. World Cup finals would be pretty cool. World Cup finals would per- be pretty neat. I, I mean, if we're not picking, if we can't choose the team, right? I'm a big New York Mets fan. I'd love to see New York Mets World Series victory, but um, World Cup final, Texas National Championship game for football, those would be my my top three. Uh, yeah, I, I'll throw it out there, Masters, right? I mean, um, that's that's always someplace, somewhere. I wish we knew somebody, Kevin, that could help out. With- it would be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> Preston wants to go to the Masters. Uh, yeah. No. Um, yeah. No. World Cup would be would be great as well. There's uh, there's all kinds of great sports. Um, so I can't think of any. Well, back Jake and Laura, what what is the best sports championship game or event? You've been you both been to rapid fire back to you. Oh, geez. Been First to or want been to go to. fired back to. I love it, Kevin. I know. Uh, um, I know. Best. Been to or want to go want, to? Because those yeah. are two separate things. You, well, you do, do one of each. Do both. Yeah. Um, I want to go to the first WNBA finals game when all of the women on the court make millions of dollars in salary. That's, that's cool. the one I want to go to. The one beat I, that Jake. The one, the one, yeah, I can't beat that. Uh, the one I want to go to when pickleball becomes nationally televised, like really, truly, you know, LeBron's got his team. Everybody's, you know, everybody's got their team. I want to go to that national championship, whoever's playing. Um, I was at the first ever semifinal CFP game at the Rose Bowl. I got to work that. So that was pretty cool. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Laura? That's all I got. Those are all my questions. I think Jake, Hank, stick around me. For those who don't know, my father is a pickleball professional. Okay. See, this is what happens in retirement. You become a pickleball pro. Uh, Visit your local Lifetime Fitness and hey hi to tony brown so i got i was i was already playing this morning so we're we're we got oh my god we got time on the court but kevin preston really appreciate your insights thoughts and perspectives around development fundraising your journeys through uh, your careers thus far excited to see what's ahead uh for both of you and Nonetheless, uh, appreciate your time on the Life in the Front Office podcast, uh, Life After Court Street series. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.